0: Thank you, Ben and team. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. I needed that this morning, and D knew. Pastor D knew I needed that this morning because I'm going to spend the majority of my sermon telling everybody that they're sinners. <laughs> so yeah, I need I need some encouragement because uh um, yeah it's but it's a good sermon. It's a good sermon. Why? Because it's the Word of God and we love it. So we're going through a 13 week series uh, as we go through the book of First John, and the title of the, ser- the series is "So that you may know." That you believe. John wrote the book. He says, I write this book so that you will understand that you believe. He wrote the book of John so that we will believe, but then he gives a synopsis of what believing does to you. What takes place when you believe? And he explains it through different things all the way through his book. He starts to talk about the relational aspects, the theological aspects, and the character aspects that come out of you and the things that we believe if we do believe when we accept. Jesus Christ um, as our Savior. So it's not old information. Um, it's not new information. It's old information. It's stuff that uh, that we know. In fact, as we're working through the book of 1 John, you might say, I accepted Christ, you know, 20 years ago. And, uh, and so the book of 1 John is just going to bring things to life of what you've known because the Holy Spirit is in you. But it also allows us to um, refine some things and say, whoa, this is when I say that I'm confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is what's supposed to be happening to me, then we definitely want to um, uh, refine that and go that direction as well. So number one, believers believe they're sinners. Believers believe that they are sinners. There's a lot of church books that are out there about church growth. And as you do church growth, I tell you, I've studied many books about church growth, but uh, pastors can go too far um, going after church growth. And what I mean by go too far is that uh, there's been some surveys even given by some mega churches that are out there, and they'll ask the people, that's not a good idea. Don't ask the people. Ask the people, what do you guys want in church? And uh, a consensus has come across the board that, that has said if you ask everybody what they want, and one of the things that they want is don't call us sinners. In fact, don't even talk about sin. <laughs> in fact, talk about the love of God. Talk about the beauty of God. Talk about the, 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 the excellency of, of the unity of the body that is created in regards to putting the church together and the harmony that is within the body. Everything is good. Just get rid of this one word, sin. And you don't need to bring that from the pulpit. But what happens is if we get rid of that one word, sin, then everything falls apart. The gospel. Falls apart. In fact, we have no concept of what the love of God is if we get rid of the word sin. We have no concept of what unity is. We have no concept of what healing is. We have no concept of what the body is. We have no concept of what the Bible is if we get rid of this concept of sin. So here, John brings it up, and we're just starting his book. We're only on chapter verse uh, chapter one verse five, and he brings this up, and it's one of the most aggressive. Passages in Scripture in regards to the verse of sin, and here it is. 1 John 1, 5 through 10, and then we'll also read 2, 1 through 2. If you say that we, you have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His words are not in us. My, little, my children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. As we're walking through the Bible, there's um, a teeter totter that consistently takes place a teeter totter that brings everybody low and then brings everybody high. And the teeter-totter is like a, a death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, God just takes us out. You are sinners. You are losers. You deserve death. You deserve hell. But then all of a sudden, there's this resurrection that takes place. Death, burial, and then what takes place? Resurrection. All the way through Scripture. So I would say that this is not a discouraging service. And the reason why it's not a discouraging service is because there's a resurrection on the other side. But John is making the point, and this is the large point that he's making, is if there's going to be a resurrection on the other side, if you are a Christian, you have to first confess that you're a sinner. You have to first confess you're a sinner. Now, this was all new information to people that were in the church because they accepted Jesus Christ, and they're not sinners. And guess who is sinners? Well, the Roman government. Haven't <laughs> you seen the Roman government? You see the orgies that are taking place? Do You see the criminal behavior? Do you see the wickedness that's taking place? Well, then, here John walks to the church and says these words If you, not the Romans, I'm not talking about the Romans, if you say that you have not sinned, you're completely deceiving yourselves. He's getting right to the point of taking his church out so they can come out on the other side of the resurrection. But there is no resurrection until we understand that we are sinners. There is no salvation until we understand that we are sinners. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through this passage. We're going to look through the doctrine of sin to understand (laughs) that we are sinners. And then we're going to say, what do we need to do about it? Once we are sinners, what do we need to do about it? Because it is not fatal to be a sinner. It is fatal to deny that you're a sinner. So we definitely want to see why we're sinners, and then we'll see what we're going to do about it. Number two, sin is a monster. This is the doctrine of sin. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Nobody can know it. It's not talking about the Romans' hearts. It's not talking about everybody that's outside the church. It's talking about the people that are inside the church. It's talking about believers. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? All of our hearts. In fact, if you look at it from God's perspective, he created this world um, in harmony, in beauty, Adam and Eve, in a garden, completely put together. Sin entered the world. And as sin into the world, I think God's just looking at, we need to put some structures in place because these people are not going to be able to function in society with this monster of sin. So what does he do? He gives people conscience. As soon as sin into the world, God hands people conscience and says, your conscience will tell you when you're sin, for the purpose of stopping it. But what do we do? Well, we blow past our conscience. We get rid of our conscience, so we keep on going. But he also gives us a law. says, okay, I want you to know that when you sin, here's a law. When you cross this, that means that, that you've sinned. And we know the law, and what do we do? We, 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 we blow by it. We go, go beyond it. I mean, I go beyond it. I mean, I'm supposed to drive 65 miles an hour on the freeway, and all of a sudden I'm going 75 miles an hour. I mean, the law is there, and, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't meet it. It, can, it condemns me. God puts these things in place so it's like, okay, Mike, you are breaking the law, stop it. But yet, I still, <laughs> I still, sorry, I'm confessing my sins. Sometimes break the law. God puts in place an institution of, called the home. It's like when we're raising our children, they've got something inside of us that is a monster, and that monster is called sin. And in Proverbs, it says, you're going to need the rod. I mean, it's just, it's a monster that's going to come out of our children. God put in place an institution called the government the government was not designed by man the government was designed by god to do what to control the monster of sin so we can survive civilly among each other so we can survive civilly because our hearts are desperately wicked and if we get rid of the government what's going to happen <laughs> our hearts are going to rise our hearts are going to rise you know we talk about you know defunding the police might be be the best thing to do well There's only one reason that's probably not a good idea, and that's because our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it, and everything is going to rise? And I can say that, not a political statement, because the data even shows it. The data even shows it, that all of our hearts are desperately wicked. God put together the institution of the church, another institution that he had put together. And what did he do? He paid the price of sin for Christians. We paid the price for sin for Christians. He put inside us the Holy Spirit to do what? to convict us when we're sinning. So he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us each other to keep us accountable. This sin is a monster that is here on this earth. Number three, the sin monster is rooted in the nature and comes out in our actions. Think about sin is sin is not only a violation against rules. Sin is inside of our nature. 1 John 1... 9, 8, and 10 explain that? Let's look at the passage, because John gives us a complete synopsis of sin with just those short verses. He says, if we say that we have no sin, which is singular, and then in 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned. Those are not the same thing. He's not repeating himself to make a point. Those are two different things. What he is saying is that you have sin and then you do sin. You have sin, and you do sin. In other words, sin is more than just actions. Sin is deep inside of your nature. Sin is deep inside of your nature. You have sin before you ever even sinned. Sin is not only a violation of rules, it is deep inside of our nature. And what do we mean by that? Maybe you guys have a newborn. You have a newborn. And you you pick the baby up from the hospital, and or you're you're in the hospital, and you're looking at the baby, and you look at that baby and say, that baby is absolutely perfect. And you take that baby home for a week, and the baby is perfect. You take the baby home for two weeks, three weeks. You you have the baby. You look at the baby and said there is absolutely nothing wrong with that baby. And my comment is, you just wait. <laughs> you, you just wait because there there is a month. You know that that that, that baby is absolutely perfect but there is something inside of that baby. There is something inside of that baby that that baby was born into, and it is called a sin nature. What is inside of that baby before the baby does anything wrong? Number four, our sinful nature consists of cries, take what you want, live as if the world evolves around you, and be your own God. That is what is the cry of our sinful nature. And you know what? We see it in our kids. Why? Because after they use the first words mommy and the next words daddy, so they found the authority, then what are the next words after that? Mine. Take what you want. No. The world evolves around me. And then give me. I'm my own God. You're not in charge. Give me, give me, give me. This is what babies do. It just comes out of their nature. And it's it's predictable. In other words... There's not one kid that doesn't do that. There's not one baby that doesn't do that. And we can't say, well, this baby is different than all other baby because he's not going to do the same things of mine. No, give me. This baby's going to look at me and say, Mom, Dad, what can I do? Do you want to sleep through the night? Yeah, sure. If you want to sleep through the night, I'll make sure that I sleep through the night to take place. No, this nature all of a sudden just pulls out. We know that. But what we don't know or often not think that we want to know is that we don't grow out of it. We don't grow out of it. What do I mean? We don't grow out of, take what you want, live as if the world evolves around me, and I can be my own God. In fact, sin is pressing in my nature. My sinful nature is pressing me to be the center of my own universe, to be the center of, of my marriage, that the world completely evolves around me. The, wor- the sin nature is oppressing me that everything evolves around me. The, the, my sin nature is pressing upon me to be my own God. It's, it's doing it. It's in there. And it's working on me. It's taking me. It's rolling me. And I have to do what? I have to fight against it. Where do we get that? Genesis 3. This is when it entered our nature. This is the serpent speaking to Eve. And Eve responds after she was tempted. Eve said, you shall not eat from the fruit or even touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Take what you want. For God knows that if the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. The world evolves around you. Tell you, you know more than anybody else. Everything is created and used for you. This is where the world revolves, and you'll do what? Be like God. You can be your own God. You see, it was put into our nature as soon as Adam and Eve, Eve sinned, and as they sinned and it was put into our nature. It's not like it's it's gone. Because it's still rooted in me. There's still a self-righteousness in me. There's still a self-drive in me. There's still a self-dependence in me. There's still a self-motivation in me. When he talked to um, Billy Graham, Billy Graham says, you know, when we look at all these sins that are out there, um, you have pornography, you have adultery, you have murder, you look at all these sins out there, those are not the worst sins. The worst sin is found into our nature, and it is pride. It is driving us to even do those things. So I just want to look at three different things that the sin nature do, does to us. Number one, it, it, uh, it drives our sin actions. I just want to talk about somebody else's sin because, you know, I don't want to necessarily talk about my sin, you know, as we're talking about sin. So let's talk about David and Bathsheba's sins. I mean, we know that David had a, a committed adultery with Bathsheba. And after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, she became pregnant And when she became pregnant, her husband was out to war and David had to figure out something to cover up his sin. So what did he do? He ended up killing, you know, Uriah, her husband. Well, remember that he was a believer, but what was going on inside of him? What was driving him to do that? The things that were driving him to do it is that he wanted to be his own God. When he looked at her bathing, he had all the women he wanted in the world. Eight wives the Bible mentions of. They think he had hundreds of wives. He had 300 concubines. He had enough women to satisfy himself, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, but he couldn't have what was not his. What does he do? He takes what is not his. The thing that he's attracted to is what he cannot have. Not what we can have, but what he cannot have. I am my own God, as he's sitting in that palace. It's driving him to have an affair with her. And what does he do? He brings her up, takes what he wants, and then after he find out, he he kills Uriah. It's like I'm king. I could do what I want. This whole world evolves around me, and I'll take care of the situation as it has happened. Do you see that sin that is inside of a believer that even drove him to that point? Now I can deny that, you know. Well, none of that's inside of me. But yet I have a sinful nature that I can see myself. I want to be my own god. I want to take what I want. I want the world to evolve around me. I see that in my marriage. I see that in my actions. The other thing it does. This sinful nature, as we've got to watch out for, is if you feed it, it can get really twisted. It can really get sick. As I said, that this is the start of all our actions. This is the start of all our actions. This sinful nature is the start of all of our actions. So if I just turn loose and I feed it, what's going to happen is corruption is going to take place to the highest. You look at uh, Sierra Leone We're connected with their missions there, and they had a horrific civil war. And as the horrific civil war took place, I will tell you that they had guns in hands. And when they had guns in hands, they had absolute freedom to loot and to take whatever they wanted. They could be their own god. The world evolved around them. And it, it got sicker. And sicker, and sicker, and sicker, and sicker. Why? Because they kept on feeding it, and feeding it, and feeding it. And I don't even want to explain the horrific war crimes that took place in Civil War because they fed that nature. I am my own God. I can take what I want. And the world evolves around me, and I have a gun, and I can have anything I want. As I was talking to Ben Margai in there last time I went to Sierra Leone, he says there's a lot of people in our country that want war. And it's the people that want to take what they want they're fed they have riches they can they they can take it what they want to do is they want to feed it and get worse and worse and worse because that appetite will not stop because it's inside of our nature and if we feed it it only gets worse we talk about sex trafficking and sex trafficking is like how can anybody get to this point the point with children, the point of these young ladies. How can anybody get to this point? It doesn't, you just don't get to that point. You're not just born in that point. You're just feeding your nature. I'm my own God. Take what you want. and The world evolves around me. And as soon as you start swallowing and swallowing, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then you just turn completely corrupted. Do you see how this nature is driving our actions? But the other part about this nature is this nature is, is in all of us. This nature is, is, is in us. Um, let's just look at a couple pieces of this nature, and I'll just you know, even, in, even talk about myself, is that I'm a pastor, and you know what I want to see? I want to see the church grow. I want to see the church get big. I want, people, I want people to be saved. I want there not to be a financial crisis in Jefferson Baptist Church. There's a lot of things that I want, and I have to ask the question, why? Why? Why do I want it? Do I... Want it because it'll make me look good? Do I want it so I can say yeah, I, did a, I, I, I did a good job? Do I want it for another reason that I can say, oh, I'm successful? Or why do I want it? See, even in my righteous acts, that nature actually rises. That self-centered nature rises, is in all of us. And even when we do a righteous act, we have to ask the questions, why? Because we're not even gonna be judged by our actions. Did you know that? We're going to be judged by what? The motives of our actions. So all of a sudden it's like oh my goodness, I have this nature in me. What are my motives? I can see my actions and my actions look pretty good but I definitely don't want to look at my motives because if I look at my motives I go back to I want to be my own God. I want to take what I want. I want the world to revolve around me. There's no greater sinner in this room than, than even me. than I myself. Let's look at the other pieces of it I only think of God we often only think of God in terms of what we can get out of him in terms of our joy that we can receive in terms of our happiness in, in terms of our needs I mean that's the way we view God and then if he does not operate in such a way that is conducive to the way that I want my God to operate what takes place now I think I'm done with church you see that nature just rises in us it's consistently rising in us if you don't see sin, is it the desire is it is a desire for you to be God instead of under God, you won't see yourself as a sinner. And the reason why is because if we only look at actions, we can justify all of our behavior. If we only look at our actions, we can justify our behavior. Why? Because well, those people's actions are a lot better in mine. So we are actually trying to take care of ourselves. the point where i'm not a sinner haven't you seen the world haven't you seen the unsaved people haven't you seen the the government but john is making a point no you are a sinner you are a sinner well is that good news i would say it is good news why because the one who confesses that they are a sinner can receive the savior we'll move towards that more number five We do not think we have sin because we have a low view of God and a high view of ourselves. I went hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail, and I hiked 500 miles, but my daughter, who's 19, joined me for 100 miles of the trail. And uh, it was an awesome 100 miles of the trail, but as we're hiking, uh, we're kind of passing... Um, people And uh, we're kind of, you know, lapping people. In other words, somebody would go, and then we'd cross over them, and they'd cross over us. So you, you see some certain amount of people, you know, pretty consistently. And there's this one guy that we saw in particular, and he was a rough-looking guy. I mean, really rough. He had, like, oil on his pants. I mean, I don't shower for a week, but he looked like he hadn't showered for a, a month. But even beyond showering, it's just like he's been through war. I'm just going to say he just looked really rough. And, uh, and we just had some, you know, sly conversations. You know, we were listening to worship one time. And as we were listening to worship, we ended up um, passing him, and we apologized. I said, hey, I'm sorry, you know, this is nature, but we're sitting here listening to worship. He says, oh, no, that's all right. I like listening to Nirvana when I'm out here, and it's like, that, that, that's great. You know, he was, he was just a really rough guy. And um, so there was one in particular time. Uh, then in the morning, we got up really early, and, and we found some water. And as we're getting some water, because water is hard to find, uh, all of a sudden, he pops up out of the woods. And uh, he goes, oh, you found the water. And he comes and he starts to talk to us. And um, as he talks to us, he tells us his story. Because he asks, you know, how old are you? Oh, you're the dad? You know, and, and those things. It's like you can tell that he admired you know, the family relationship, the father-daughter relationship on the trail. And uh, so he started telling us um, his story. He said that, you know, I've been addicted to heroin uh, the majority of my life. You know, I grab a hold of every single drug I could possibly do. And, um, and I don't know how to get out of it. And he said, my aunt one day says, you know what you need to do is you need to go hiking. Because if you're hiking, you can step away from the world and you'll be able to get out of it and find relief. And he says, I didn't believe her at first, but all of a sudden I went on this trail a couple years ago. And when I went on this trail, I did. I like pulled away from this life of heroin, of this drugs that I'm completely addicted to. And when I pulled away, I'm start, I find life out here. It's when I look at the mountains and I walk on the trail and there's, there's isolation, there's complete life out here. He goes, last year, I just didn't make it very long, though. And the reason why I didn't make it very long is because I'd walk in the woods, and it was absolutely wonderful, but then we'd get into kind of like towns, and then I just grabbed a hold of the alcohol, and I just went drunk. I mean, every single night I walked in town, I just hammered myself until I just burned myself out, quit last year, but I'm back again because I, I want to start all over again. I want a I I new life that is out here. And I just said, you know, some, some fast words, well, you, the mountains aren't going to give you life. You need to meet... With the God that created the mountains. If you want life, that's what's going to come into you. And, and he just kind of blew me off. So, you know, he wasn't looking necessarily for, for God or salvation um, at that time. But then he, as he's walking away, I looked at my daughter and I said, uh, you see that guy? She goes, yeah, I know. I sure feel sorry for him. Yeah, I know. He's, he's, he's really messed up. I said, yeah, look very, very closely because do you know what he is? And she goes, what do you think he is, Dad? I said, he is exactly what I would look like without Jesus. Maybe you wouldn't look like him, but my daughter knows me. I'm an intense personality. I'm going to go one way or I'm going to go the other. There's no sitting in the middle for absolutely anything. I mean, that's absolutely boring. I would tell you that if I didn't know Jesus, I would be a heroin addict, a drunk, whatever it takes place, I'd be in a ditch. Or I'd be a conservative Baptist preacher. By finding Jesus. But you see what takes place is there is a resurrection that happens. And when the resurrection happens is that I see that I am a sinner and the mount that I see that I'm a sinner is the mount that I see that there's a resurrection that's alive. So I'm not going to hide from anybody. I would stand up here and say, I am a no good rotten sinner that deserves absolutely nothing but death. And there's only one reason I am up here today is because I have been given an answer of salvation. Because I personally have been rescued, and if I have personally been rescued from the sin, how can I not tell the whole world? How can I tell the world that, that there is an answer? The mount that you believe in the sin that you're a sinner is a mount that you get excited about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Every all the way through the Bible, who was excited about salvation? The people who were excited about salvation were the sinners. It was the prostitute that walked in the door where the Pharisees are eating and comes right up to Jesus and says, Jesus, please, save me. Well, the Pharisees, what, they they were offended by that. How could you even touch somebody like that? But all of a sudden, she received salvation and the excitement took place. Why? Because she knew he was a sinner and everybody else didn't believe that they were sinners. See, the degree that you know that you're sinners is the degree that you see the debt that was paid for you. That's why John's saying, you need to understand you're a sinner. Because if you don't understand you're the sinner, you don't understand the cross. You don't understand God's love. You don't understand salvation. You don't understand anything until you understand that you are a sinner. Charles Spurgeon says As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if it is not detected, then you are completely deceived. What are we supposed to do detect our sin and according to the verse then give it to jesus detect our sin find our sin then what to do then give it to jesus all right what do we do about our sin let's move into that number one admit that you're a loser sinner in the need of a savior from jesus martin luther was one person that changed the world and uh he was going to be a priest And only people that had Bibles those days are those who were studying to be a priest. And so they gave him a Bible. And as they gave him the Bible, um, he just said, oh, my goodness, I am a sinner. (laughs) The Bible tells me I am a sinner. In fact, every time I open the page, I am a sinner. And what should I do? I need to confess my sin. So he felt completely ruined. So he went down to the priest, the head priest, and he confessed his sin consistently for 10 minutes a day. 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, two hours a day, three hours a day. And he would go in there, and as he was confessing his sins, he goes, God, I, I, I am so sorry I am a sinner. And inside my righteous acts, I see my sin. Inside my righteous acts, I see a wrong motive. Everything I do is just literally sinning. And he just kept confessing, 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 confessing until the head priest just stepped out of the thing and just said, Martin, it's as if you called every fart to sin. Knock it off. It's, it's, it's too much. But this is what changed Martin Luther's life, which what changed the world, is that Jesus is only mine when I claim the name sinner. And when I claim the name sinner, I'm actually moving towards him, putting my sin on his shoulders, and because of what he did, I can be saved. Not because of my confession that I can be saved, but because of what he did, I can be saved. And that is what started the fire in Martin Luther. Here's a passage, 1 John 5. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins. Let's look at these words, an advocate. What is an advocate? An advocate is one who pleads another case. What is righteous? Righteous is justice has been done, justice has been completed, justice has been accomplished. So if you look at the verse... If anyone sins, we have an advocate. Jesus is pleading the case. Justice has been done, my Father, is what he is saying. See, when we think that God comes to us, it's like, God, just give me another chance. Just give me another chance. But if Jesus is an advocate that is righteous, what is taking place is that he is standing and saying, you can't throw Mike Dadera in hell. The reason why is because I already paid his price. I pleaded his case. And if Jesus pleaded my case and died in my stead, what do I have to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Propitiation is wrath appeased. So if I'm going to go to heaven, I'm not going to get there on my own life. I'm going to get there on his life. If I go to heaven, I'm not going to get there on my righteousness. I'm going to get there on his righteousness. And this is where Martin Luther just went justification by faith. You see, we can only be saved if we admit that we're sinners. Because when we admit that we're sinners, we're saying, God, I can't do it. Just like Martin Luther was trying to do it through all of his confessions. God, you can't, I can't do it. But then all of a sudden his eyes open. There's an advocate. The gospel does not condemn you. The gospel is Christ being condemned on your behalf. And that is an aggressive statement. But that's the gospel. That's the good news. What it does is it makes us that the only requirement for you to be saved is that you are believe that you're a moral failure. The only requirement for you to be saved is for you to believe that you're a moral failure and you cannot approach God on your own. You need an advocate, and the advocate is Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can be saved. Romans 7 This is Paul that is speaking, and as Paul is speaking, he's writing a book to um, Romans, writing a letter to the Romans, and as he's writing a letter to the Roman church, um, there's a spot where he just starts losing it. In other words, he doesn't talk to the Romans anymore. He starts talking to the Roman church. He starts talking to God, and this is the part. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what i would like to do but i am doing the very thing i hate but if i do the very thing that i do not want to do i agree that the law is good confessing that the law is good so now no longer am i the one doing it but sin which is sin nature but sin which dwells in me for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for the willing is present in me but the doing of it is not is but the doing of the good is not For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin, that nature inside of me which is dwelling. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, and then all of a sudden he just breaks. What a wretched man I am. This is my most righteous second to Jesus I think this is most, one of the most righteous guys in the world what a wretched man I am and then what does he do who will set me free from the bondage of sin and then what does he say thanks be the God our oh Lord Jesus Christ you see he just was hammered with the sin that was in him this is Paul the apostle hammered with the sin that was in him but then he finds relax but blessed be the God of the Lord Jesus Christ who did what took my sin away. Number seven, here's another challenge. Don't only confess your violations, confess your sin nature that is driving your violations. I just want to look back at that verse because I want to look at the structure of that verse, our passage this morning. I started on verse eight. It says, if we say, you might need to look at your notes I don't think it's on the screen. If we say that we have no sin, which is our sin nature, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then you hear this very, very popular verse that's that's said all the time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a very, very popular verse. What drove that verse? According to this passage, the thing that drove that verse is our nature. Because he says, you have this nature, confess the nature. And then, I'm not saying don't confess your actions because he doesn't make the statement below. If we say that we have not sinned, in other words, if we say that we have our actions um, don't come out, then we make him to be a liar and the truth is not in us. But that verse is driven by I've got to say something. God's got to say something powerful after he says it is your nature to sin, therefore you need to confess it. So here's a challenge. And I'm not going to say don't confess actions because confess all your actions, but take it a step further. And here's a step further confess your nature. God, please forgive me for my self-dependence. Please forgive me for my self-righteousness. Please forgive me for my self-sufficiency. God, forgive me for my self-focus. Forgive me for my self-obsession, my self-indulgence, for my self-justification, for my arrogance, for my pride, and for my conceitedness. That is in all of our nature. It's in all of our nature that consistently comes up. And as soon as I say, well, I don't have any pride, that's the biggest statement of pride that you can possibly give. Because pride is driving us. It's a center that is driving us. And I've taken this a step further, and, and the reason why I've taken this a step further in my life is because sometimes I, don't, I forget that I'm a sinner. And you know what I need to do? I need to love the cross. I need to love the resurrection. So the Puritans, they were very on this, and um, Charles Spurgeon, the Puritans, and also Martin Luther, they wanted to know that the sin was rooted deep in their life. And so what they would do is they would pray. And as they pray, they would pray, God, I'm a loser. God, thank you for being an amazing savior. I have a journal that has that's changed my life. And, and uh, it's just, just little prayer points. What I do is I read these prayer points. As I read these prayer points, it's a reminder to fill me fuel, uh, fill me full of what I need to know. And one thing I need to know personally, I need to know I'm a sinner. Because again, resurrection won't be that beautiful if I don't. So here's a prayer journal that I just read, and I just want to read it. This is a whole bunch of prayer points. God, destroy in me every lofty thought, break pride to pieces and scatter it to the wind, annihilate each clinging shred of self righteousness, and please implant in me true loneliness of spirit. Open to me a fountain of tears and break me, then bind me up so that my heart will be prepared a dwelling place for God. God, my heart is an exhaustive fountain of sin, a river of corruption since childhood. Please give me grace, sustain me, otherwise I fall. God, I'm a poor, diseased, despised sinner, yet you are willing to clothe me in the brightest of glory. God, please cut me off before my thoughts go into response. Save me from myself. God's sin is my monster and my foe, my viper, born in birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating in my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with every thought, the sinner I am. Yet your compassion yearns over me. Your heart hastens to rescue me. Your love endured my curse. Your mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in your lowest depths of humility, bathe in your blood, tender of conscience, triumphant and glorious over an heir of salvation. God, I am nothing but vanity, iniquity, perishing. Sin has forfeited your favor. Stripped me from every image. banished me from your presence. Expose me to the curse of the law. I am in need of salvation, and the death is the center of all of my relief. I am guilty of infinite evil, God, that merits infinite punishment, for sin is a violation of the infinite obligation Forgive me, save me. Please bury my sin in the ocean of Jesus' blood. Forgive me of my inconsiderate ways, my broken resolutions, my untrue service, my backsliding steps, and my vain thoughts. Forgive me for serving you in sinful ways. Too often I make my flesh my arm and do not trust you. Too often I'm driven by the applause of others rather than the love of my Savior. Please forgive me and make me yours. I am nothing but sin, weakness in me no good dwells and my best works are but sin. God, please destroy the aim I have and my secret motives to exalt my name. No good creature stands in need of of grace more than I do, and yet none abuse it more than I have done and still do. How heartless and dull I am, humble me in the dust for not loving you more. God, I carry enough evil in me to be a devil and enough grace in me to be the son of the most high God. God, my sins are black, deep, and rise from a stony, proud, self-righteous heart. Help me to confess them with mourning, regret, self-loathing, with no merit or excuse. I can often see more defilement in my duties than even in my sin. God, what is better, a sin that makes me humble or a righteous act that makes me proud? It's confessing that nature that is, that is in me. It's confessing that nature that is going to drive my actions and going to send my actions. I am saved. And it says, confess your sins. Confess your sins. And when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of a sudden our eyes are open. What are they open to? A God that bleeds to the point for the purpose of forgiving you to so it takes place as we water down sin we water down the cross we water down sin we water down the resurrection and as believers we should even go in more aggressively find god i am a sinner forgive me so i can see you very very clearly number 8 to the depths of you uh, to the depths you see your sin will be the depth that you celebrate the resurrection of jesus thomas watson said once the soul is convinced of sin And the hell that follows it, the Savior is then precious. If there's a survey that says take sin out of the pulpit, take sin out of the word of God, then don't mention sin, then everything will be distorted. And the reason why everything will be distorted is because I will be somebody who is strong. I will be somebody who is my own God. I will be somebody where my world evolves around me. I will be somebody that exists for everybody else, the center of the universe. John is saying, if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar. Because that is the first step to make you alive, is to say I have sin. So we should be excited. Why should we be excited? Because we all have paths. We all have histories. And those pasts and those histories and those things that we hold on to, these things are destroying me. And what is God saying? Just say that you have sinned and I'll be faithful and just to forgive us the sin and I will cleanse you from all our righteousness, all unrighteousness, and you can be saved. You can be saved. Father, I just pray for any person in this room, God, that has not come to you and proclaimed to be a sinner. God... Um, The only people you save are the ones that say, I am a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. God, you have paid the price on our behalf, and God, we are saved not as a result of our works or even a result of our confession, um, confession, but as a result of what you have done. God, we just thank you for this gift, and I just pray we'll take full advantage of it. In Christ's name, amen.